focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters, Handan and Lee Ji-young. Guys, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Let's talk inflation. Uh, some positive numbers that have come in, uh, at least when it comes to the U.S. Uh, U.S. inflation easing in the month of November with uh, the Consumer Price Index. Uh, it's really falling below market expectations here. Now, this is hoping... That the worst of the country's runaway inflation may be finally over here. Tan, start us off with the latest figures. Sure. The U.S. Consumer Price Index, which measures a wide basket of goods and services, rose by 7.1% on-year last month, uh, which is the smallest growth since December last year, according to the U.S. Labor Department. This is just 0.1% rise from the month before and lower than most analysts' projection of 7.3%. The CPI rose by 8% just three months ago in September, but began to fall, posting 7.7% increase in October and then to 7.1% in November. Core CPI, excluding the volatile energy and food prices, went up by 0.2% from October, which is the smallest unmonth increase since August last year. Economists see the core CPI as a better indicator of underlying inflation than the headline measure. Housing and food costs rose, but falling energy prices helped keep inflation at bay. The energy index declined 1.6% on-month, while food prices rose by 0.5%. The latest figures indicate that the worst of runaway inflation has likely passed and thus uh, validates an anticipated slowing in the pace of the U.S. Federal Reserve's rate hikes. The Federal Open Market Committee's two-day policy meeting began on Tuesday. Tuesday, and the board members are widely expected to end the Fed's successive giant step and take a big step instead to raise its policy rate by 50 basis points this week. The lower-than-expected CPI has sent major indices on the New York Stock Exchange surging, and those gains ebbed throughout the trading day, with the S&P 500 closing up roughly 0.8%. Uh, government bonds also rallied, sending Treasury yields, which are sensitive to change in interest rate expectations, plummeting to trade at about 4.2%. Experts project prices to increase at a much slower pace next year as the supply chain disruption and energy crisis triggered by the war in Ukraine will be alleviated further. But they also say that a rate cut won't come anytime soon as the U.S. consumer prices still remain well above the Fed's target range of 2%. That's right. It's been a while all throughout this year. We saw the U.S. Fed continue to go aggressive on the rate hikes. And, uh, you know, we were kind of questioning when will we finally see the effects of the, uh, the rate hikes? And we're finally seeing this uh, right now. Uh, obviously, with the U.S. now uh, hitting its lowest inflation rates this year, uh, there are expectations that South Korea would follow suit and that, you know, inflation rate here will also 
see a sharp decline, which would be good news for our economy, although not as bad as uh, the United States or in Europe, where, I mean, the Euro- European countries are seeing some of the highest inflations we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Jiang, can you tell us uh, some of the reasons behind this projection? Sure. Now, this is because uh, Korea's inflation is also directly affected by the trend of external variables, such as international oil prices. Now, as Taun reported, the U.S. Consumer Price Index hit 7.1% in November which is the lowest since December last year. And 7.1% isn't really considered a low figure. Yeah, but it's noteworthy to see that the numbers have been gradually slowing down since September because the month-on-month indicators are usually useful for seeing short-term trends and projections. Now, we've seen South Korea following this trend after rising to 6.3% in July, which is the highest since the 2008 financial crisis. Now, the inflation rate has been showing a slowdown curve. Now, in October, there was a short-term rebound due to the increase in electricity and gas rates here in South Korea. Hmm. But many experts say that it is an overall downward stabilization trend. But, however, it seems a little bit too hasty to be a bit too uh, positive on this one. Uh, It is certainly a positive sign that Korea's inflation continues its slowdown curve after peaking in July. But also experts are saying that high inflation will continue at around 5% until early next year. Uh, Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Minister of Strategy and Finance Chu Gyeong-ho said at an emergency meeting this morning that the inflation peak has passed, but we will see somewhat high inflation numbers in in the 5% range in the next few months. Now, the Bank of Korea and the National Statistical Office are also presenting similar prospects. Uh, They warn that external variables such as international oil prices and the war between Russia and Ukraine are also difficult variables that would have a huge effect on consumer prices. Uh, Not only is the inflation rate around 5%, this number is still high, but the consumer prices perceived by the public are also still high. Uh, This is because of uh, processed food and eating out is still on the rise, and many of uh, our consumer goods are from these uh, processed food and eating out. Yeah, and and this is exactly what we're saying before, is that, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, our inflation rate is at somewhere around 5%, but does it feel like it's 5%? It certainly does. And uh, you buy, uh, if you've been to restaurants, a lot of the food menus that uh, you usually get, uh, it's up like 10%. uh, even, I, you know, I complain about this all the time. The, the 4-4-10,001 beers no longer exist. <laughs> uh, it's now 11,001, which means that's an increase of 10,000. And, I mean, just overall, you go to the supermarket, you're spending a lot more. It doesn't feel like a 5% uh, inflation right now. And especially because now uh, South Korea hasn't been as aggressive as the U.S. Fed mm-hmm. when it comes to the rate hikes. Uh, we're not going to be seeing the same level of... 
decrease in the inflation, not to mention we have to take into consideration, like you said, the energy prices. We are at winter season. The gas mm-hmm. prices has been skyrocketed. I don't know if you guys checked the bills recently, but uh, the, the boilers or the gas bills that we've been kind of uh, spending on during the winter season, it's been uh, skyrocketing. Electricity bills are also skyrocketing as well. Ultimately, all of this uh, is going to impact the inflation rate here. But uh, one area uh, that saw its prices fall despite continuing inflation is the real estate market here in Korea. And as you know, when it comes to real estate, we're all very sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trend will likely continue into next year, according to reports coming in. Tan, uh, tell us more about this. Sure. Steep rate hikes and fears of a possible recession will likely keep real estate prices down next year as well. But prices are expected to fall at a slower pace than the latter half of this year after the rate hike hits the peak. That's according to the Korea Housing Institute, which projected house sales prices to fall by 3.5% nationwide next year, while apartment prices will also decline by 5%. So what I mean by house sales here is what we call chutekka and apartment prices apatika. The figure was calculated through a projection module factoring economic variables and housing supply and demand. By region, House prices will likely fall by 2.5% in Seoul and by 3% in the capital region and 4% in non-capital regions. Apartment prices are expected to drop by 4% in Seoul, 4.5% in the greater Seoul area, and 5.5% in regions outside the capital region. The institute cited high interest rates, recession fears, and delay of real estate tax cuts as the main risks dragging down the prices. But it predicted uh, the decline rate to slow from April next year, which is when the interest hikes are largely expected to have passed. The peak of the interest uh, rate hikes are expected to have passed. It, however, also added uh, that the real transaction prices of, ap- of apartments could plunge further down by 8.5% nationwide and by 9.5% in Seoul and by 13% in the capital region. Now, the real transaction prices do not represent the average of an entire apartment complex, but the Institute explains uh, that they are more sensitive to price fluctuations. Sales will likely recover from next year. Real estate markets saw sales drop by half this year from last year, logging about 540,000 units, posting the smallest number of transactions since 2006. But sales are expected to grow by nearly 40% in the latter half of next year as price decline slows and buying sentiment revives. 2023 will continue to see the trend of growing chunse or monthly rent transactions. Prices of chunse will likely fall while monthly rent will go up as people looking for uh, non-purchase homes will continue to prefer monthly rent mm. rather than chunse mm-hmm. due to the financial burden from high interest rates. That's right. And, uh, you know, the consensus right now is, uh, you know, we saw the figures like Town said, I mean, uh, 2.5%, 3%, all these uh, sound really low, but then in many parts of uh, outside, because the Gyeonggi region was where they saw like the biggest jump in prices uh, mm-hmm. in the recent years because, again, it was so expensive to afford these uh, Seoul apartments. Uh, but uh, I've seen one apartment where the prices uh, dropped like 50 percent. 
and I mean, these are people who also bought these houses when it was at peak uh, mm-hmm. prices, right? And the reason why there are no houses or apartments up for sale is because they know that the prices are going down. They can't sell it at that price because they'll be losing out on money. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, they know. I think there's a lot of people who are saying that. Well, when we get to the the brunt of the uh, the, the interest rate hikes and everything starts slowing down, they start making cuts on the rate hikes and things like that. Uh, prices will go up again, uh, which is why they're not. Uh, not a lot of, uh, I guess, owners selling their houses. But I, I feel like this is going to be a temporary thing where the prices... But this is what we wanted, right? We wanted people to kind of ease up on the, the real estate prices. And I've said this before, it's the high interest rates are going to control the, the real estate prices, none of the uh, government policies. Uh, but speaking of which, uh, Tan, the Korea Housing Institute also raising concerns that we may see a sharp increase in the number of construction firms uh, faced with bankruptcy. How bad is the situation right now? Well, due to aggressive rate hikes, falling housing prices and suspensions of real estate project financing, a substantial number of Korea's construction firms may face a bankruptcy crisis. According to the Institute, numerous construction firms are already reeling from financial difficulties as repayment funds, once supported by bridge loans and asset-backed commercial paper, are now blocked. It warns that if the credit crunch is not resolved, construction firms facing liquidity woes will collapse like dominoes, and this will impact the secondary financial institutions as well that provided loans to those firms. The risks are analyzed to be much bigger than the 1997 Asian financial crisis or the 2008 global financial crisis. The real estate think tank called for more active project financing support measures from the government and also ways to utilize the land owned by the construction firms uh, for higher profit to avert the liquidity crisis. Staying on the issue of real estate, uh, even though we're seeing these uh, the house prices drop uh, for those that uh, obviously don't own homes and uh, looking to own a home, uh, it might be good news. But still, uh, the proportion of housing purchases by people in their 20s and 30s were called the, the yunker joke in Korean, right? Basically, taking out all the loans that could possibly mm-hmm. do, uh, take out. Uh, it's still hitting an all-time low this year. Uh, Ching, let's get the details of this. Sure. Now, according to Economic Manlap, which is a Korean real estate think tank, uh, among the total nationwide housing sales transactions from January to October this year, the number of houses bought by people in their 30s or younger accounted uh, for 108000 638 transactions, which accounts for 24.1%. Now, this is the lowest since 2019, based on the same time frame from January to October. Now, even last year, the proportion of housing purchases for those in their 30s and younger reached 27.1%. Uh, Taejeon has the biggest drop in housing purchases by those uh, in their 20s and 30s. Uh, compared to the previous years. Uh, From January to October last year, the uh, number of houses uh, purchased in Taejeon for those in their 30s and 20s was 28.5%. But this year, it decreased to 23.6%. So that's almost a 5 percentage point. Now, 
In the metropolitan area, the number of housing purchases also fell most in Gyeonggi-do province. Uh, last year, the proportion of people in their 30s and younger who bought a house in Gyeonggi-do was 31.7%, but this year it was only 275 Now, meanwhile, among the 25 districts in Seoul, uh, Songdong-gu was the place where the number of housing purchases uh, what fell the most. Uh, last year for Songdong-gu, the number of houses uh, that were purchased from people in their 30s or younger was a whopping 43.9%. But this year, it uh, dropped to 26.8%, which is a 17.1% drop from the previous year. Now, even though the government is planning to ease the interest rate on loans for home buyers, experts say that it's likely that young people would still be reluctant to buy houses anytime within next year or the year after. You can't afford it with the interest rates uh, right. that are at this level. And, and I had this talk with my wife the other day because uh, I bought a house last year. Mm-hmm. And at the time, because uh, the area that I live, I live in Anyang, right? And it's considered a speculative area. It's like mm-hmm. a, and so the amount of LTV, like the amount of loan uh, ratio you get, it was uh, something like 40%. We're able to get 40% loan, right? So then we have to come up with 70, uh, 60% mm-hmm. uh, cash in order to buy this house, which, which is another reason for why we didn't go crazy and, you know, go younger and buy an apart house that we couldn't afford. We bought a house that we were able to afford. And she goes, well, did you know that they're changing uh, the policy right now to make it easier for people to buy homes? Uh, they're raising it to about up to 60%, even 70% uh, mm-hmm. loan. And I said, well, look, uh, if they gave us 70%, if we were allowed to b- uh, borrow 70% of the apartment price, we would be bankrupt. We'd probably not buy this house. We'll probably buy an even bigger house, which means mm-hmm. we also need to pay more uh, right. on the mortgage and on the interest as well. So it's that's why I was saying that even though despite the fact that they're saying that they're going to make it easier for people to buy with higher LTV values, it's no one's going to buy it. They, it's the interest. Interest is way too high right now, and they're just mm-hmm. not able to buy. There's news everywhere, reports of families uh, who are just unable to pay off their loans right now because of the raising the rising uh, interest rates it's it's mm-hmm. real estate prices will go down until of course again we see the the cut in rate hikes here uh, but it is interesting though i mean this is uh, how despite the fact that it's now made easier you still can't buy it because of the interest rate uh, also i don't know if you guys heard the uh, what is it the chungyak mm-hmm. uh, which was a super big thing there's been a lot of so once there's Cheongyak lottery system for the apartments, uh, those that bail out on the, uh, I guess, the Cheongyak or the lottery, mm-hmm. uh, we call it chup-chup. And then you get all the <laughs> people that try to get in on the spots that people left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's increasing right now. Yeah. Uh, people are just not able to buy it despite the fact that they hit the lottery, right? That mm-hmm. they hit the uh, the Cheongyak. Yeah. Uh, they're not it's able It's almost to... like winning the lottery. The, po- the that's, probability, yeah. that's what right? it was of, called. Of winning now... a Cheongyak, right? Yeah, and, and, and a couple of years back, everyone were flooding into certain Cheongyaks, right? And mm-hmm. then they're not even done with the construction and they cannot, they're realizing because the uh, interest rates, uh, they're basically given up, th- they're even given up their uh, 10%. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. the 10% they had to put in for the, the, the contract for the the apartment and saying, look, we just can't afford this right now. So we're seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of empty apartments from uh, what I understand. Mm-hmm.
Guys, uh, let's move on to other issues. The IMF projecting China's economy to grow at a slower pace this year and next year as the country retreats from its zero COVID policy. And this will result in a wave of COVID infections is what experts are saying. Uh, Tell us get the details of this. Sure. IMF Chief Kristalina Georgieva said that a lower growth forecast is very likely for China this year and next as easing COVID-19 restrictions are expected to bring a surge in infections and temporary difficulties. She said that while China's zero COVID policy has battered its economy, the easing of restrictions is going to create some more difficulties over the next months as a spike in infections will be inevitable with more people temporarily unable to participate in the labor force. The IMF uh, cut its growth projection for China in October to 3.2 percent this year, the lowest in decades, while expecting growth to rise to 4.4 percent next year. But now it appears very likely that it'll be further downgraded. Uh, It will further downgrade growth projections for China, both for 2022 and for 2023. But uh, she did say that China will likely overcome the setbacks in the second half of next year. And so there could be some improvement in growth prospects from then on. Chinese officials said on Monday that COVID cases are surging in Beijing with a sharp spike in people visiting hospitals across the capital city. Rising infections in smaller cities were also discussed on social media. So uh, it looks like China's really facing an uphill battle here, you know, uh, just when uh, its economy suffered from tight restrictions with its export volume, you know, falling to record lows. Uh, But now that the restrictions are uh, lifted, uh, they're seeing a, a huge wave of infections, which, again, is negatively impacting its economy. Global economic leaders last week hailed China's move away from its hardline virus strategy with hopes that relaxation would also help to shore up uh, the global economy struggling with fallout from the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Some experts, however, did point out that China's reopening will be a double-edged sword, all depending on on how the country handles the rise in infections. The IMF chief also added that apart from challenges in China, the economic growth of the U.S. and the European Union are also expected to slow simultaneously, uh, projecting half of the European Union to be in recession next year. You know, this is interesting because uh, this is uh, exactly what experts were kind of warning, uh, because while many parts of the world, if not all the parts of the world, were kind of lifting its uh, measures, strict measures, uh, China kept it in. They're saying that, it's gone to the point where, look, it's you just have to get infected with COVID-19. Uh, the whole country needs to kind of go through it and, uh, you know, form the immunity. And that's the only thing. And it's only delayed. China's only delaying that. Like, it's they're saying it's inevitable that you just need to get infected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were doing a fantastic job with us, but we still got covid uh, mm-hmm. eventually and things like that and then now we can kind of return to nor and a lot of the people who are getting infected right now are those that haven't been infected before although there are some reinfection cases uh here and there but experts were saying china's uh zero covid policy is just slowing down the reopening and they should have just kind of reopened and do what the rest of the world is doing and say look there's nothing we can do let's kind of focus on the treatment aspect of things instead of trying to 
you know, block yourselves from getting COVID. Uh, and now they're seeing a, a slowdown in this. And uh, well, they're seeing a late kind of resurgence in virus cases uh, compared to some of the other countries. Uh, in the meantime, global trade volume set to reach record levels of about 32 trillion US dollars this year. This is uh, according to a UN report. Uh, Tana, break down the, uh, the numbers for us here. The UN Trade and Development Agency says global trade is set to reach almost $32 trillion this year, the largest volume on record thanks to robust growth in the first half. That's a 14% increase from last year. The UN agency said that trade in goods and services is expected to reach $25 trillion and $7 trillion, respectively, by the end of the year. The substantial trade growth in the first two quarters was largely due to increases in the value of energy trades amid prolonged war in Ukraine. It analyzed that prices of oil, gas and raw materials that soared due to the war in Ukraine inevitably increased the amount of trade. But global trade growth has turned negative during the second half, the UN agency explains. Deteriorating economic conditions and rising uncertainties have resulted in a trade slowdown during the second half of this year. But it added that the decline in global trade has been nominal as the volume of business continued to increase throughout the year, which is a sign of resilient global demand. Um, the agency forecasts that the value of global trade will decrease in the fourth quarter of this year for goods and services. Let's uh, come back here in South Korea. Let's talk COVID-19. Uh, we did have numbers in the 20,000 range on Monday. We did say that it's going to be lower figures on Monday, considering the, the weekend effect. And come, uh, obviously, a Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll see a spike again. Uh, above 80,000 is what we're seeing for the second straight day, uh, which could be a reason and a very good reason for the government to postpone easing the indoor mask mandate. Uh, Chiang, first and foremost, let's start us off with the latest COVID-19 figures that came in earlier today. Uh, sure. Now, the country reported 84,571 new COVID infections, including 73 from overseas, bring the total to 27,925,000. 572. Uh, health authorities expected daily infections will be on a slow incremental trend for the time being, but did not rule out the possibility of another virus wave this winter. Uh, the government earlier said that it will decide whether to lift the indoor mask mandate, uh, the country's last remaining COVID-19 restriction, by the end of this month, based on uh, uh, a lot of factors, including caseloads, death, and the number of hospitalizations. Now, this morning, a Minister of Health and Welfare, Cho Gyu-ho, said that the government will explain in detail the standards for adjusting the mandatory rule for wearing masks indoors on December 23rd, which is next Friday. Now, the government has already suggested lifting the indoor mask mandate from January to March next year. So health authorities plan to collect expert opinions on the remaining quarantine measures, such as the indoor mask mandate, starting with the first meeting this Thursday. Uh, Minister Cho said that he and his colleagues uh, discussed measures to be taken at workplaces to 
to respond to another COVID wave and that efforts are needed to create a working environment where employees can take a rest when they're sick. Um, he also said that vaccination is also essential to move toward a swift recovery and that 92.5% of the 360 deaths last week were in their 60s and older. But the vaccination rate for those in their uh, those in their 60s or older is still low, which is 24.9%. Encouraging vaccination. Uh, he encouraged uh, vaccination, especially for the older population. Yeah, I think uh, it's just, um, it's we're going through a fatigue, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we certainly went through a time where everyone were waiting for their vaccine shots, you know, trying mm-hmm. to click on for any leftover vaccines. Uh, certainly not seeing that. And for our listeners uh, from overseas, I mean, you know, it's not like South Korea is probably the only country that's seeing a resurgence. It's that South Korea is still continuing uh, to test a lot of people. I was actually uh, quite surprised at how uh, testing is being done because the other week I went to the hospital, one of the clinics, because I had a sore throat. And it was nothing, you know, bad, right? I knew mm-hmm. I didn't have COVID, but they weren't taking any chances. They said, you're going to take this test. And I said, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so testing is still being done right now. I think right now it's inevitable that uh, we have to push more forward towards the treatment process uh, rather than putting in strict measures. But uh, health authorities are calling for an increase in the production of cold medicines uh, here in Korea. Certainly been seeing a lot of people getting sick these days. Uh, And this is to prevent supply shortage during the winter season. Tom, let's get more on this. Sure. Health authorities have issued an emergency order to local pharmaceutical firms to increase production of cold medicines containing acetaminophen as part of efforts to tackle a cold medicine shortage in the winter season. This as COVID spread continues in the country, albeit on a smaller scale than expected, and as dozens are dying each day from various other respiratory diseases that are going around this winter season. Uh, the Ministry of Food and Drug Safety has designated 650 milligram tablets of acetaminophen, medication used to treat fever and mild to moderate pain under the brand name Tylenol as a a crisis management medical product and ordered 18 pharmaceutical companies to produce and import more of it, according to the health officials. The order will be effective uh, through to April and companies should report the production, import sales and inventory of the medicine to the ministry on a monthly basis. Uh, According to the government's plan, the monthly supply of 650 milligram tablets of acetaminophen will be increased by 60% to a monthly 7.2 million tablets by April from an average of 4.5 million tablets. I have to say, by the way, uh, in the near 36 years of my life, that's actually one word I still can't pronounce. Uh, (laughs) I hope I pronounced it right. I I think you did a fantastic job uh, (laughs) pronouncing that. But I remember when there was a shortage of this when we started getting the the vaccine shots Mm -hmm. as well, right, for the fever reducing. Uh, So I just called it fever reducers. I I still can't pronounce it. Uh, But just when the world was finally recovering from COVID-19, a potential pandemic disease that got us all freaking out, the monkeypox outbreak, that's right. I think some of us might have forgotten about that. Uh, there was a bit of a scare on this uh, this year. The World Health Organization recommended re- renaming monkeypox as mpox, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because 
monkeys will be offended by this? I don't know. The South Korean health officials have announced that they'll go, uh, would also refer to monkeypox as mpox. Jiang, uh, can you tell us more about this? Uh, yes. Now, the Korea Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Agency uh, held a meeting today and decided to change the name of monkeypox in Korea to mpox. Uh, the mpox virus is known to primarily infect uh, rodents such as rats or mice and monkey, but it also infects people and it's commonly found in Central and West Africa. Uh, so far there has been four confirmed cases here in South Korea. Um, hex health experts across several countries reported to the WHO that racism and stigmatization were observed in different countries. Uh, to curb the stigma which was being associated with the disease and to tackle racism, the WHO has decided to change the name. Uh, the outbreak of the disease in African countries, which were, are perceived as being backward, resulted in the disease acquiring a racist identity. Uh, further, since a majority of the cases were detected in homosexual men, the stigma against the infected uh, increased as well. Now, the advice from health experts to gay and bisexual men to be more careful and ended up kind of building a misunderstanding among people. So MPOX was perceived as a disease of the LGBT community, which is not true. Uh, close contact of any kind with a patient can lead to any individual getting infected. So here in South Korea, it will be called MPOX, uh, but it will go through a grace period of six months to use both names together to minimize confusion due to the name change. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how the changing of this name uh, really prevents people from stigmatizing certain groups or, you know, preventing racism because the thing with like, for example, like Wuhan virus, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there was a problem with that because it was a certain region that they were kind of targeting. So which which is why we went from coronavirus to COVID-19 and things like that. But uh, interesting, MPOX is what we're going to be calling it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on here. Uh, 46 countries have gathered in Paris for an aid conference uh, for Ukraine, pledging a billion euros in humanitarian assistance with a particular focus on supplying energy sources. We've talked about how Russia has been targeting these energy grids and the energy facilities in Ukraine for the winter season here. Don, you get more on this. Right. 46 countries and high-ranking officials from 24 international organizations were present at the aid conference presided over by French President Emmanuel Macron. They pledged to provide 1 billion euros or about 1.3 trillion won in assistance, almost half of which will be used for Ukraine's energy sector as Ukrainians are expected expected to spend an especially cold winter this year. Uh, the rest will be used for food, water, health and transport aid. French uh, Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna told the press that the international community cannot leave Ukrainians alone to face the harsh winter with their aggressors seeking to inflict difficulties on them. Kalina also confirmed the launching of a new platform to coordinate civil aid for Ukraine, enabling donors to see Ukraine's needs and pledges from other countries. The so-called Paris Mechanism will be a real-time platform managed by the European Commission. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also took part virtually, putting the world on notice that one of the keys to stopping Russian aggression was to guarantee Ukraine's energy 
energy stability. Millions of uh, energy-efficient light bulbs are needed to help Ukraine cope with Russian attacks on the country's energy system, is what he said. And he also said that uh, generators are now as necessary in Ukraine as armored vehicles and bulletproof vests. South Korea has uh, previously announced that it'll send 100 tons of goods and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine this month, which, of course, include generators. Uh, More assistance for Ukraine. This time, the United States finalizing plans to send the Patriot missile defense system that can intercept uh, missiles as well as aircrafts to Ukraine. Uh, This is going to be as early as this week, according to a number of U.S. officials. Now, Ukrainian defense officials have been asking for this particular system Mm -hmm. for months right now. Uh, Chiang, can you tell us uh, why is this so important? Uh, Well, uh, Pentagon's plan still needs to be approved by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin before it is sent to President Joe Biden for his signature. Uh, The three officials told CNN that uh, approval is expected. Now, once it is all approved, it could start and move very quickly. And we're told that the announcement could come by the end of this week. Now, why is this so important? Uh, Well, the Patriot is really the premier long-range high-altitude air defense system that the Ukrainians have wanted for months. And the U.S. has uh, resisted uh, sending this to them. Uh, Now, in the face of all of the destruction we're seeing in Ukraine with Russian missile attacks, it looks like the White House is changing its mind and moving ahead. Uh, What the Patriot uh, does is its radar locks into an incoming Russian missile and launches its own missile to shoot down the Russian attack. And that means that the Ukrainian forces can bring down those Russian missiles before they get close to uh, population centers, such as power plants, water generation plants, bridges, and so on. And we've seen Russian airstrikes continue, pounding key uh, key energy targets throughout Ukraine amid sub zero temperatures and that's why right. uh, it's they're being so cold and they need so much uh, humanitarian aid now uh, the Patriot would be the most effective uh, long-range defense uh, weapon system sent to the country and officials say it will help secure airspace for NATO nations in Eastern Europe and unlike smaller air defense systems uh, the Patriot missile batteries need much larger crews requiring dozens of personnel to properly operate them. Uh, Once this is all finalized, the Ukrainian forces will have to be trained and they're likely to go to the facility in Germany and get the training and go back to Ukraine and set up the system. Uh, But the big question here is, of course, what will Vladimir Putin say about all of this? And uh, of course, he's not going to be happy about this one. Uh, also, uh, Japan's Yomiuri Shimun reported that the U.S. is also pursuing a plan to purchase 100,000 shells from South Korea. Now, this means that the stock of ammunition, which has decreased due to the U.S. military aid to Ukraine, will be purchased from uh, South Korea's defense companies to make up for it. That's right. And then just kind of going back to the Patriot defense system, I mean, the U.S. could be, whether or not Vladimir Putin's going to be happy with this. So he'll just say, well, it's defensive, right? And it's not going to be used mm-hmm. to 
really attack uh, Russia per se, which again, that's not the, what U.S. wants. And U.S. has been uh, making sure that Ukraine uses none of their weapons to go attack, go into attack uh, Ukrainian airface, uh, mm -hmm. airfields, as we saw in the uh, in the past here. But uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for your report today. Please stay safe and warm as well. And uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.